Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. As the topic of abortion is being intensely debated in our country these days, I think it's important that we Catholics maintain a supernatural perspective. We need to see what's really going on. We need to see things with the eyes of the angels. I want to consider this with a spiritual lens, not just what's happening in the news and what's happening in Washington and what's happening on social media. We need to look at this with a clear supernatural perspective. We have to remember that all that's going on here, remember that behind all of this, it's the devil ultimately. It's the devil whom scripture reveals is the one who hates human life. It's the devil that's always trying to get us to turn on each other, to fight with each other, hurt each other, even kill each other. We see this right away at the very beginning of the Bible. The first generation after Adam and Eve, what happens? Cain murders his brother Abel out of envy. And when God confronts him on this, what what does Cain say? Do you remember? He says, am I my brother's keeper? Do I have any responsibility to care for other people's human life? And am I responsible for other people? Well, St. John Paul II beautifully, uh, poignantly shed light on what's really happening in the culture today. He said in his great encyclical, The Gospel of Life, Evangelium Vitae, that the same selfish mentality of Cain, am I my brother's keeper, that gets us just to focus on me and my finances and my pleasure and my career, my fun, my friends, my social life, that same selfish mentality of Cain gets many of us, even Christians in the Western world, to neglect the poor, the sick, and the elderly, to neglect our responsibility to care for the marginalized, the homeless, the lonely, the immigrants. But we see this most especially, most alarmingly in abortion. Listen to what John Paul II wrote about in that great encyclical, The Gospel of Life. He said, no one more absolutely innocent could be imagined. Think about that baby in the womb. That baby in the womb. He says, no one more absolutely innocent could be imagined. In no way could this human being ever be considered an aggressor, much less an unjust aggressor. He or she is weak, defenseless, even to the point of lacking that minimal form of defense consisting in the poignant power of a newborn baby's cries and tears. The baby in the womb doesn't even have the basic of defense to be able to say, no, please don't kill me. No, no, please don't hurt me. It can't even cry. It can't even make a scream. It is so defenseless so weak, so dependent on our care. John Paul II goes on to say, the unborn child is totally entrusted to the protection and care of the woman carrying him or her in the womb. He also says that this this life that is so dependent on us, uh, so innocent and so dependent on us, it, it requires greater acceptance and love, but it's considered an intolerable burden. It gets in the way. It's inconvenient for what I want to do in life. This is what he says in Evangelium Vitae. He says, a life which would require greater acceptance, love, and care is considered an intolerable burden. That's how we view the baby in the womb in our world today. He says uh, that this person in the womb, this person is viewed as someone who compromises the well-being or lifestyle of another person. This baby in the womb gets in the way of what I want to do, my comfort, my, my, my passions, my interests, my pleasure, my career, my, my plans. And so he says, this person who depends on us so much that requires greater acceptance and love and care from us 
is, quote, looked upon as an enemy to be resisted or eliminated. When we consider the topic of abortion today, let's be very clear. This isn't an issue so much about politicians and lobbyists. Yes, they're involved, and it's not, but it's not primarily about Congress and the White House and whatever may be happening in the Supreme Court. There's something much deeper at work in our world today, something much darker, more sinister. There's a spiritual battle that's behind all of this. And that's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sree. Serious topics we're facing in the culture and the world today and that we're going to look at today. But let me turn to something also serious, but a little more uplifting, I hope. Uh, I mentioned last week that my wife and I are working on a book. I'm going to have her on the show later on, I think in June, and, and we'll, we'll share more about it. But we, we came out with a video. We have a, a video where we gave a presentation all on the realities of married life. What does marriage really look like? You know, Not just the ideals of marriage and the theology of marriage or theology of the body. All that stuff's great. But how marriage is really demanding, it's, it's really hard, and there's many challenges and trials, but God wants to meet us precisely there in those times when we feel disappointed, when we feel let down, when we feel hurt. When those things happen in a marriage, that's don't press the panic button. That's normal. That, that means the sacrament's working. God's working on your selfishness. He's working on, on your heart and your spouse's heart to make your hearts love more like Jesus. And so my wife and I were very vulnerable. We, we talk about our own struggles. We've had many struggles, as I know many most couples have, but we share uh, about those in order to also delight in the ways God has helped us through those trials and has drawn us closer together and drawn us into a greater love. So if you're interested in this free video, so it's a it's a talk that we gave all on the realities of married life, you can go to ascensionpress.com slash Sri Marriage Video. That's ascensionpress.com slash S-R-I Marriage Video, and you can sign up to get the video for free. They'll send you a link and you can be able to download it, watch it on your phone, watch it on whatever platforms you use for those things. One other little small item, I, I have some kind of bad news, that's exciting news, but I think two weeks ago I shared with you all about my my Holy Land pilgrimage that I'm going to be doing this November, and I was so excited to be able to share this with all of you, and I know so many people, we were overwhelmed how many people sent in their registrations, many people overnighted them, and it was crazy. I've never had this amount of response to a Holy Land pilgrimage. I think with the pandemic, it was just two years of pent-up excitement to go to Israel, so unfortunately, the trip filled up in about a week. So uh, the trip is full. You can still be on the waiting list if you want. You can email my office on that. But we will be letting you know about a new trip I'm going to do. I'm going to be doing this in January. It'll be January 12th through 20th here in January 2023, 12th through 20th. So stay tuned. Uh, if you're on my email list, you'll get an email that'll announce the details of that trips in the coming weeks here. And stay tuned. I'll announce it on the podcast as well. But let's turn back to this topic of abortion, that there's a battle, John Paul II said, that's going on between what he called the culture of life and the culture of death. And I remember him talking about this very clearly right here in Denver, where I live, in Denver, Colorado in 1993. He he talked a lot about this struggle, this battle in, in the world today between a culture of life and a culture of death. Of death at World Youth Day 1993. 
So I was a young adult at the time. I came here with my good friends, Curtis Martin, Tim Gray, and uh, and many others. And it was it was just a very moving gathering of hundreds of thousands of young, faithful Catholics from all over the world. And uh, nobody thought anyone would ever come to this event. And, and, and it was just packed. It was the biggest gathering of human beings in the state of Colorado. Uh, it was amazing. But JP2 talked about this idea of this battle, and he called us to really stand up for truth, to stand up for love, to stand up for human life. But this battle between the culture of death and the culture of life is not just a new one. It's been raging since the very beginning. If you go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God warned us about this battle. It was right after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, God warned that the serpent, the symbol for the devil there in Genesis, the serpent would attack the offspring of the woman. So the devil hates human life, and he particularly is going to go after the offspring of the woman, the children of the woman, and in particular, one very particular offspring, an heir of the woman, which will be the Messiah, Jesus. But, but the serpent is going to attack human life, attack the offspring of the woman. And we can see throughout history, when there are periods of renewal that are on the horizon, they're usually preceded by great trials, by periods of great darkness. Uh, I, I think about how John Paul II often talked about a new springtime is on the horizon, that there's going to be this great period of renewal, a new springtime in the church, a new springtime for evangelization, a new springtime for Christian faith. But what season comes before spring? It's the winter. <laughs> and it's been a very dark, cold winter, we could say, in our secular age. Uh, that, that, that pattern, though, of darkness coming before the great light, you see this like when God is about to intervene in dramatic ways. Uh, in the time of Moses, for example. Think about what's going on in Israel. They're, they're enslaved. They're suffering tremendously in Egypt, slaves under Pharaoh. And they cry out for help. And, and it gets worse. Babies are being killed at the beginning of the Exodus story. Things are very dark for the people of Israel. Their children, their male children are being taken away from them and thrown in the River Nile to drown to death. That's what's happening to all the little boys that, that are born in this period. It's a culture of death. And yet, in the midst of this, think about those who survived that experience. Moses was one of the few survivors. He was a part of the renewal. In that time of great suffering, Moses' life was spared. His mother put him in that, that basket, and he ends up being saved, rescued, and he grows up to become the leader of the great renewal, the great exodus. Think about in Jesus' day, what happened when God sent the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There was the rage of King Herod, the massacre of the holy innocents. Many babies are killed. And yet Jesus is spared like a new Moses. He also goes to Egypt, just like Moses ended up being put in the River Nile, but in a basket, <laughs> and then ends up being raised in an Egyptian household and becomes the, the one who will liberate the people from, from their slavery under Pharaoh. What happens to Jesus? Jesus, when he's born, He's going to escape this great moment of, of death at the massacre of the Holy Innocents when babies are being killed again. And he goes to Egypt. He's going to be raised in Egypt like, like Moses was. 
raised in an Egyptian household, Pharaoh's household. And, and Jesus will go on and be the leader of the new Exodus and liberate people from the true enemy, which isn't Herod or the Romans, but ultimately the devil. Think about what's happened in our own lifetime. Why don't you think about this? If your know, chances are, I don't know, you know, I have people listening that are in high school. I have people, many college students that listen, many people in their 20s and 30s. I have many people that are in their 40s, 50s, even 60s that are listening. But I'm going to say this, if you were born, you know, in the 1970s, maybe late 1960s, you just need to know that many thousands, millions of your peers were killed. And they were killed in the womb. It's another time, like living in the time of the Exodus, especially when abortion became legalized across the country. Just think about this. If, if you were born after Roe v. Wade, and I know many of you listening were, and even if you weren't, you can, you're pretty close to it. You can imagine this. But I'm going to speak to those that were born after it, you know, since 19, mid-1970s or so. The day you were born, thousands of other babies died that day. Thousands. On the day you were born, thousands were killed in their mother's womb. It's so sad but you survived. You are a survivor of this new culture of death. You are a survivor. There are others that could be listening to this podcast right now that were born, that, that were meant to be born the day you were born or in the year you were born, but they never had the chance. There are many of your peers that could have grown up. They could have found the Catholic faith, they could have been baptized, they could have gone to Mass, but they never had the chance. You're a survivor. Think about the responsibility you have. You know, these are some of the things that have impressed me when I was there at 1993 at World Youth Day with John Paul II and, and in the, the years following. The responsibility that we survivors have. Listen to what JP2 told us at World Youth Day there, 1993 here in Denver. He said this. He says, at this stage in history, the liberating message of the gospel of life has been put in your hands. And the mission of proclaiming it to the ends of the earth is passing to your generation. Wow. I mean, I remember these words so poignantly. The liberating message of the gospel of life. We who survived, we who were able to live human life, we were murdered like many of our peers. The message of the gospel of life has been put into our hands, and the mission of proclaiming it to the ends of the earth is passing to us, to our generation. Then he goes on, he says, this is no time to be ashamed of the gospel. It is a time to preach it from the rooftops. It's time, my friends, that we, we stand up for truth. We stand up for love. We stand up for human life. It's not a time to be ashamed. It's not a time to be worried about being canceled. We're the survivors. We have a great responsibility. In God's providence, we're here. We have a great responsibility to stand up for the gospel of life. But it's a spiritual battle, an intense one. Did any of you watch Mel Gibson's film this last Lent, maybe during Holy Week? I know a lot of families watch it on Good Friday. I don't know if you've seen it recently, or but maybe you remember Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. 
do you remember like at that right at that moment when Jesus dies on Calvary, there's like this this teardrop from heaven that falls down and and it hits the earth and then you see underneath the earth that creepy satan figure remember that creepy satan figure in that movie well under the earth like like all of a sudden just start screaming shrieking in anger i think of that image a lot that scene in that movie in these recent days you know the possibility that roe versus wade might be overturned when we see the the hysteria the anger, the rage, the calls for violence here in my own diocese, Archdiocese in Denver. We've had a number of of churches vandalized, all because they're going after those that stand up for human life. But all this hysteria, anger, violence, rage, let's have a supernatural perspective on this, friends. It suggests there's something much deeper, much darker at work. And the world needs our prayers right now. It really does. The promoters of abortion, they need our prayers. The victims of abortion, not just the children, but the mother, the father, victims of this culture of death, they need our prayers. But let's keep in mind very keenly that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. Again, the devil hates human life. And and we need to be praying. We need to be fasting. So I'm going to give you a couple practical things. And, and that's one of them right there. I want to really encourage you today, or maybe you're listening to this late at night. You can start tomorrow. But I, I do something right now. Don't don't put it off. Do something today. Say some extra prayers. Like do an extra rosary. You know, maybe do an extra divine mercy chaplet. It's only going to take you seven minutes. Do something of extra prayers right now to pray for human life. Remember, John Paul II said, it is not a time to be ashamed of, a, of the gospel. It's a time to proclaim it from the rooftops. But one of the best ways we're going to fight this spiritual battle is going to be through extra prayer. And so I want to ask you, do something today or, or tomorrow, if you're listening to this late at night. Do something with your family. Do something with your friends. Just some extra prayer. You, you can just turn off the radio one day. Turn off your podcast. You know, Don't listen to me. Just go, 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 go say an extra Divine Mercy Chaplain. Uh, say a decade of the rosary. It could be something small, but do something. Please pray because the world needs our prayers right now. God's about to do something really awesome. You know, again, before every great renewal, there's always great darkness. Before the springtime is winter. We've been in winter, but we need to pray. Maybe, and also do some extra fasting. Can you, can you give up one day, uh, just not be on social media for one day? Could you do it? Could you do it for those thousands of babies every day that are murdered in our country? Could you do that? Just just give up Instagram for a day. It's not going to kill you. If you can't give up Instagram for a day, you have other problems, <laughs> other other addictions, you know? So just give it up for a day or give up your favorite glass of wine or your favorite sweet or your favorite coffee drink, whatever it is. Can you just do something small? I mean, I know some people want to do bigger things like just fast all day. That's awesome. But I just want to encourage everybody, do something. Do something right now because we are not battling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And those battles can only be fought with prayer and fasting in union with Jesus Christ and his blessed mother. Second thing, remember what true self-giving is. You know, John Paul II, when he, he wrote about 
the, the issue of abortion. He said the root issue is our false understanding of freedom. You know, we, we think freedom is about just being able to do whatever we want, whenever I want, however I want. He calls it a self-centered concept of freedom. That's what he wrote about in Evangelium Vitae. There was a, a homily I, I just heard from wonderful homily from, from my pastor. He was just really moving for Mother's Day. And he shared uh, something that one of his fellow priests friends had once said. That you know how in the, in the pro-abortion movement, many times one of the slogans or ideas is that, you know, hey, this is my body. It's my body. I can do whatever I want with my body. Don't tell me what to do with my body. That, that's the common kind of you know, idea. And this, this priest had reflected on this and said just how, how opposite that is from what Jesus models for us. As Jesus shows us what true freedom is true self-giving is. What does Jesus say at the Last Supper? He says the same thing. This is my body. He starts off with the same four words, but he doesn't say this is my body to do with whatever I please, to do whatever I want with it. He says, this is my body, which is given up for you. He gave up his body for us. That's true freedom. He has the interior freedom to make his life a gift for others a gift of love for others, a gift of love to his heavenly father, a gift of love to you and to me and all humanity for our salvation. He gave up his body for the sake of others. That's true freedom. He didn't have the voice of Cain in his heart. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for other people? My life's just about me. No, he didn't have that. This is my body, which is given up for you. And all men and women are called to use their lives, not for their own purposes, but for God's. And when we do that, we actually find our fulfillment, our happiness. That's why everybody in, in the world said, everyone, that's, even the promoters of abortion need our prayers. Not just on this issue of abortion. Yes, certainly that, but just that they can, can experience what true freedom is. Because we will only find ourselves when we make ourselves a gift to God and to other people? Do I have the interior freedom to make my life something beautiful for God? As Mother Teresa said, let's pray and let's fast, but let's also remember true freedom. So the next time you have a child breaking down and you're tempted to just complain, you can remember, no, this is my body given up for you. I'm here to serve. I want to be like Jesus. The next time there's a family member that just is sick and needs some extra help and you're kind of like, oh, I'm just busy. This is a bad time. No, this is my body given for you. I'm going to serve. Because we find our fulfillment. We find true love when we lay down our lives and give our lives in service to God and to others. Thanks so much for listening. Let's pray for our culture. Let's pray for the world. Let's pray for the defense and promotion of all human life. <laughs>